This is Matt Poovin, and you're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Hey, Dream Chasers, this is Amy J. And thank you so much for tuning in to episode 35 of Chasing Dreams. I have a friend here with me, another awesome guy. Yeah, you're not surprised at this point. They're all awesome. But today I have Matt Poovin. By day, Matt is a business consultant. He works with his clients to maximize their workforce effectiveness. He's worn many hats, including instructional design, business IT analyst, and multimedia specialist. By night, and this is the interesting part, Matt is an Indian classical musician. He plays the sitar and is the creative director at AIMREC, which is a premier Indian classical music record label, and is a teacher at the Academy of Indian Music and Fine Arts in Baltimore, Maryland, and all under the age of 30. That's amazing, already doing so many different things. And he's here to talk about his Dream Chase story. So please welcome Matt. Hey, Matt, what's up? Hey, Amy. So I'm right, aren't I? You're under 30. I am. Uh, It was just my birthday in February. I share with uh, Abraham Lincoln, Charles Darwin, esteemed esteemed colleagues of mine. I see, and you get a day off with it. So happy belated birthday. Thank you. So yeah, I just turned uh, 27. And you're doing all these different things. I mean, you have one life during the day, a different life at night, and the two, I'm sure, get mixed up probably. All the time, yeah. Now, when you... I mean, when you're talking doing a business consultant, instructional designer, business IT analyst, multimedia specialist, how do you end up doing all those different things? Is there a commonality? Did you go to college for one and everything kind of just domino affected down? I actually went to college for none of the above. Wow. Uh, <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so I, I went to UMBC. I Great majored, school. Yep. I agree completely. I majored in political science, minored in economics. Uh, The dream at the time was to probably join the State Department, become a diplomat, you know, career long thing, eventually become an ambassador at like the end of a long and distinguished career. Wow. And that's very well thought out. Yeah. uh, I like to plan things out into the future. Okay. (laughs) And, uh, and then I changed the plan uh, kind of dramatically. I mean, as I, I got, I'd say as I so. Got, yeah, as I got more and more into the musical stuff that I was doing, I realized uh, maybe I don't want a job that you know puts me in a far-flung country. It'll be hard to continue doing what I'm doing and learning from my teacher and everything. And so I shifted gears a little bit, um, decided I was going to do a – Master's in Public Policy, which I started at UMBC also. At the same time, I got an internship 
uh, with the company that I work for now, ended up dropping the public policy master's when they offered me a job, thinking I'd go back to school at some point, uh, which I did, just not in public policy, something that fits a little bit closer to the business and IT stuff that I do at work. Now, Matt, when, you, when you're doing this, you made this change in careers, essentially, this change in paths. Mm-hmm. Did you pick up things as you were going along? Like, did you learn more from experience versus formal education? In terms of work? Yeah, in terms of the instructional design and uh, multimedia specialists. Yeah, so uh, the instructional design stuff, when I started as an intern, uh, a lot of the other interns were, you know, from different fields. A few of them were already studying instructional design in whichever school they went to. A lot of them were from UMBC. So they taught us a lot of stuff there. Uh, Through previous jobs that I've had, I've had to take, like, online training and things like that. So I understood it from the person taking it before is the end user's uh, point of view. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, uh, you know, those kind of e-learning courses, if you've ever had to take like an orientation for something, you know, you click next, 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 next. Sure, take yeah. is one of those things for anyone that doesn't know uh, what I'm talking about when I say that. So we learned a lot there. They had their own tools kind of to build these courses out and working with the way more experienced uh, coworkers kind of got a grasp on that. Like the multimedia specialist stuff, like a lot of audio recordings and things like that that go along with the narration portions of these e-learning courses and some you know videos and other kind of work that we do. Uh, a lot of that I learned through the music and recording label stuff I do at night, uh, and that's part of where these worlds end up blending. So, did you do you think that you would have ended up in instructional design if not for your internship? That's correct. Yeah. I didn't even know that was like a thing people did. Yeah, I have to admit, I mean, I didn't, I was not familiar with instructional design until uh, a previous Dream Chaser had come on to the show, uh, Michelle Leon, Arista Michelle, and she told me about it. I mean, it's, it seems to be a growing field and probably one that's uh, wide and vast. Yeah. A lot, a lot of the work that we do, it's around, there's like, whole different wings to it like there's a lot of compliance training things that all these like big companies they need their employees to do anyway but then also a lot of companies you know they're getting new software and new training new programs implemented where they work and they need to get all their employees on board or they're acquiring companies it's like okay you had that system before you got to learn this one and they'll hire you know like consulting firms like mine get us to do that the e-learning portions, in-classroom portions, and all of that. So this this is your day job. This is something that kind of came about. But when you were younger, you've been doing, um, you've been playing the sitar for a very long time. I mean, we, as long as we've been friends. Yeah, I, I, I started that uh, in high school, actually. So less than as long as we've been friends. How many years would you say? Uh, about 11 years. I guess now. And how did you come into that? I mean, it's a very beautiful instrument. You do an amazing job, but it's not something that you would typically pick up in America. Yeah, so that's a funny story there, and I will uh, give you the short version of it. Um, Basically, the first time I even really ever heard the sitar was in a class in high school. So I went to Mount St. Joe in Baltimore, and uh, I was in my ancient world civilizations class, my teacher, Mr. Campbell, we got to the chapter on ancient India in the textbook. 
there's one of those little asides on uh, Pandit Ravi Shankar. And my teacher, he, uh, Mr. Campbell, would play one of uh, Ravi Shankar's CD in class and just have it going on in the background. Like the track is like 30 minutes. And uh, so I was just playing in the background and I'm kind of listening to that more than paying attention to him. <laughs> yeah. Did you tell them that? I, I, I did eventually because I went up to him afterwards. I was like, hey, can I borrow that CD for a little while? And he was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Here you go. And so then uh, I, I listened to it. I, it. I thought it was pretty cool. I didn't really know what to do with it. Um, I didn't know how to process it myself. I was like, well, wow, there's a lot, a lot going on here. Uh, but I didn't know anything about it, so gave him back the CD after a while, and I was like, okay. And then I stopped thinking about it. And then that summer, so that was in like March. Then I was that say, summer, so out of out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, basically. And uh, my dad was going to India that summer. He asked me, uh, "Do you want me to bring you back anything?" And I have no idea why, but right. I just kind of said, "Like, yeah, how about a sitar? That'd be cool." And. <laughs> He was like, uh, yeah, sure, whatever. Because that's not really something you just pack in a suitcase. It's not something you pack in a suitcase. It's all. It's also not like something. It's like not like anyone in my family did anything really musical, and like my dad knew what one was, but he has no familiarity with it either. And so he's like, yeah, sure, maybe if it's cheap enough. And then he left. And after he left, I just looked it up online, and I was like, okay, there's no way I'm getting one, so whatever, it's fine. Then uh, he actually came back with one. He was like, oh, yeah, that other thing coming off the conveyor belt, like at BWI, that's your thing. And I was like, what? Oh, wow. So he actually brought one back. He did, which surprised the heck out of me. (laughs) Was that one of his uh, carry-ons or check-in things? Extra extra carry-on, yeah. They're kind of big. That's got to be its own suitcase. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it comes packed in its own box. And it's a whole separate thing. And so then I was like, "Uh uh-oh, now I have to, like, actually learn how to play this thing. So I get online. I'm like, okay, let me find some books and whatever. Because I figured teachers in the area were a long shot. Everything I looked at said, to really learn Indian classical music, you need a teacher. And I was like, oh, great. So So you asked for this sitar to be brought from India. Mm -hmm. And you had no plans ahead of time for what to do with it, despite the fact that you were a planner. Correct. Is that a good summary? Yes. That is a perfect summary. So then I I decide, okay, I typed in like Siddhar teacher and I put in my zip code and there's a little thing that came up and it's like, oh yeah, uh, here's a list of teachers in Maryland. And I'm looking through, I'm looking through, I'm looking through. And one says Catonsville. And I was like, that's weird. And so then I put in the address into Google Maps and I look at it, I was like, huh, that's even weirder. It's like three miles from my house. It's on this little path that I walked my dog at the time. It's like two streets away from that. And I was like, that's a real fluke. This is not possible. Yes. I got to tell you, for anyone listening, the odds of this are so astronomical that I am amazed. Yeah. Completely insane. So I tell my mom, I'm like, hey, there's a teacher that's like right here. That's really weird. Can we like go check it out? And she's like, okay, we go. I meet with him. My teacher's name is uh, Ustad Hamid Hussein. And Ustad is just the title, basically means teacher. Um, meet with him, you know, come, come to his house. The lessons were at his house. Um, he, he saw, he, he heard the story. He thought that was crazy. And then uh, 
And he's talking to my mom. He's explaining, you know, here are the fees and this is the whole game plan and everything. And uh, I, they're not inexpensive lessons by any stretch of the imagination. So, again, I kind of thought it was like, okay, well, that's the end of that. I'll see how far I can get with the books and who knows, maybe I'll have to resell this thing or something <laughs> and, or just keep it around. So you didn't really have a lot of hope for it lasting. No. But surprisingly, then my mom was like, okay, well, why don't we just try it out for a little while and see if it works? And and then that was the beginning of uh, everything that came after. Now, I have to say, uh, it's not common. I mean, and you can probably attest to this. Are there a lot of American-born, second-generation Indians who play the sitar in America? Not too many, no. I feel like Especially, like, when people like, I guess, like me, uh, you know, my parents came here, and then I was born here. And then when other kids, like, in that situation, they grow up, and if they didn't have, like, strong, like, connections to, like, their cultural roots or whatever, they, it seems like they tend to try harder to get their kids involved in this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, with my parents, like... In some cases, they were worried, like, oh, you know, we got to make sure he fits in, you know. And maybe they didn't emphasize too much of that. Like, in certain respects, they did, and certain they didn't. Um, but I feel like the other people, like, as they're growing up, they're like, oh, no, we got to make sure that that happens. Like, maybe I didn't get to do that, so I want to make sure my kids do it. That's That seems to be the trend that I'm noticing now. Because I get we get a lot of requests, you know, like, Parents are coming in. They're like, my kids like just turned five. You know, is it too early to start? Is it too late to start? Is it? Oh my god! And uh, and that seems to be like the trend now. So, do you find that you're a uh, trendsetter? Do you do you see yourself as that? I mean, because you were doing it before it was, if if you can say it's popular now, uh, you were doing it before that. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Not in in the sense that I like started learning it. I mean, there are plenty of people that do. Um, there are not too many people that stick with it. Like for a lot of a lot of people, like do whether it's dance or like, like Indian classical dance or like any Indian classical music, north mm-hmm. or south. It seems like they'll look like you'll start it when you're younger. Like your parents kind of pushed you into it, whatever you liked it. It went on, but then once you hit college, like that's really the make or break for a lot of kids. Um, like they'll either drop out because, you know, they're more focused on school and setting up their careers and everything. And that kind of just falls by the wayside or like me, they, they find some way to just really push through it. And then it just stays a part of their life. So what is it that has you, had you continuing this? I mean, you just loved it that much. Yeah, I really loved it. My music teacher kind of sets up this whole environment. Um, a lot of, like I've made a lot of friends like there are other music students and it just really like kind of connected for me like I used to play other instruments I used to play the guitar a little bit of piano before that but something about Indian classical music just really I guess resonated and I liked being in that environment I liked being around those people and uh I just really stuck with it now do you think you're I mean Clearly, you you are familiar with it. You're good. Um, and the fact that you're teaching it at the age of 27, you're creative director at the American Indian... Uh, what is it? 
Uh, AMREC. AMREC, yes. Yeah. And what does AMREC stand for? So the the AIM is the Academy of Indian Music, and the Records is the recording label, the REC. Um, that was started by my music teacher, like, like back in 1991. Um, and they do a lot of things. They record a lot of like the, some of the greatest musicians, like in the genre, and host concerts. And there's like an annual music competition, and that's it all kind of feeds in with the academy side of things where they're teaching students and things like that. Now, is this academy in like nationwide or is this just the, the Baltimore division, if you will? I mean, it, there's not like multiple branches or locations really. Uh, I mean, it's all what my teacher does and now kind of what I'm starting to do. And it's, it's based here, but my teacher also teaches out of, he's taught all over the place. Currently, he also teaches in, like, Virginia, Ohio, and New Jersey. I mean, because if you're talking about um, something Indian of this kind of nature, I would have expected it in D.C. or -hmm. New York. Mm -hmm. You know, um, when you tell me it's in Baltimore, I'm like, well, go ahead, be more. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely strong presence in Indian classical music in New York, in Toronto, in, like, the Houston, Texas area, San Francisco area, like it's all over the place, Philly, New Jersey. Um, but yeah, Baltimore is also a hidden gem in the Indian classical musical world. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you, when you started this at, at some point during your training, did you mm-hmm. think, Hey, I want to teach or did that just kind of happen naturally somehow? I've always actually liked the idea of wanting to be a teacher. Um, like even before that State Department idea I had, I did want to teach. Uh, Anything the, in particular? Uh, like literature, high school level. Wow. <laughs> and my parents were like, we did not send you to private school since kindergarten so that you could turn around and be a high school English teacher. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And uh, I grappled with that for a little while. But then the other interest kind of came in, so they got lucky. It was a fluke that it worked out the way they wanted to, um, slightly. But that was kind of there. You say um, fluke, I say things happen for a reason. Yeah, yeah, we can go with that also. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there was that. And, um, yeah, the thing is, like, with Indian classical music, like, there's really a ton to learn. Like, there, no one... Like, even if you talk to, like, a master-level musician, right, and Mm -hmm. they're in their 70s, right, they will not – they will tell you that they're still a student. And they're not lying. They're, like – or they're not being, like, super humble about it. Like, there's – the vastness to what you need to learn is just ridiculous. As much of a serious commitment as it is to be a student, like, and, like, really pursue this – I don't, I don't take like being a teacher like lightly in any way. And it's not like you can't, you can't get away with really being like only 50 pages ahead of the student or something like that. So uh, for a long, like I, I was like, man, that'd be awesome if one day I could like my music teacher is in his seventies. Right. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm in my twenties and I'm like, that'd be awesome if I'm in my fifties and I can do this thing. Like, that's awesome. And it was really my teacher who pushed me to, he was like, no, you're kind of at this point you can take a few, like a handful of students and he guides me and, you know, he's like, okay, make sure that they're able to do these things. He kind of sets up this 
sort of curriculum. And it follows the same kind of path that I learned in. And he's like, yeah, go ahead and do that. And he really watches over it. And uh, he's not there for the lessons or anything, but. Right. So it's all have, you, but. Yeah. And we have these, you know, the way our academy set up there, like student recitals every couple of months. And then we have that music competition that it's every year. Like we just had our 32nd annual one this past Thanksgiving weekend. And uh, so my students will play in those and he'll hear that. And then he'll give me more tips if he, you know, on his feedback based on how they do and all of that. So the teaching of it, like where it happened in my plan came much earlier and, uh, but it's been good because it's forced me to learn a lot of things. And really, uh, if they question me on something, I really need to know the answer. And if I don't, I go and learn it. And then I just know that much more. So it sounds like you're not allowing, um, lack of knowledge or experience stop you from doing something that you could just kind of figure out. Uh, yeah. So have you actually recorded CDs of your own music? No, uh, I mean, there, there are some recordings of like concerts that I've played, um, that I guess that are out there cause I've seen people record it. Um, is that something you would want to do though? Yeah, I do. Um, and I have the plans for it. My teacher has encouraged me to do it. So what's holding I, you back? What's holding me back? Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't hear what you said. Yeah, what's holding you back? Oh, what's holding me back? Um, I guess it's like uh, because like, I, I, like if I do the CD, right, mm-hmm. I want it to be of the quality of all the other releases that are pushed out by our record label. And those are all really good stuff. <laughs> and I'm kind of psyching myself out a little bit. But I'm also like, I, I want to be able to look back like 20 years from now. Because once it's out there, it's out there, right? And I want to be able to look back like 20 years from now and not like completely cringe. <laughs> a little bit of cringing is okay. But I don't want to like completely cringe. All the other recordings we have have really like stood up to that test. Like some of our like best performing products are 20 years old and they're amazing. And I, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, not completely, but that that's what's holding me back. But I think it'll come out in the next few years, definitely. Ah, so we have something to look forward to, guys. Just kind of <laughs> feel free to let him know that he should be recording soon and encourage him to jump on that. It's getting there. It's getting there. Now, is there anything else on your bucket list that you would want to do as whether it be your day job or your night job or even just another aspect of your life? Hmm. I mean, there's definitely tons of goals of mine uh, in the musical world. Um, There's like short term goals, like there's plenty of like prestigious places, uh, venues I'd like to play at. I'd love to play at the Kennedy Center or Carnegie Hall or something like that, Lincoln Center. Um, that would be awesome. Other aspects of life. Uh, I don't know. I love to build a house <laughs> a little bit out of left field there, but that that's definitely a bucket list item. No, that's awesome. I mean, yeah. some people think they can never do it, but maybe why not have it on your list and see if you can't make it happen? Yeah. I'd like to, uh, win a Grammy. <laughs> that would be awesome too. <laughs> hey, you got to put out a record to make that happen. Yeah, uh, actually, some of the the products that we're uh, doing out of our record label are submitted to the Grammys, and I'm a producer on some of those. So 
there's a chance. Well, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my music teacher's son, uh, his name is Anayat. He's, uh, he's actually a, a Grammy. He's a member of the Recording Academy and a, a voting member of the Grammys. So we have, we have a little bit of uh, an inside peek at that world. Interesting. Mm-hmm. If, they, if, you're, if you have uh, listeners who are also musicians and trying to submit stuff, you can send it that way. <laughs> he, he might hate me for saying that, but that's okay. That's all right. You put it out there. I did. I put that out there. You did. So, but at least he knows who to go to because it's put out there. Yes. So, Matt, we, yeah. <laughs> one, one thing we want to ask before we kind of wrap things up, and one thing we try to ask people is, what is one thing that you would recommend to someone who is chasing their dreams? Yeah, so um, I guess one thing that I've always fell back on, like this this kind of all this stuff that I do Mm -hmm. is very um, different. And uh, like most people I encounter are like, whoa, that's crazy. And especially among like Indian parents and things like that, they're like, yeah, that's I mean, that's a great hobby, whatever. Like, shouldn't you be focusing on these other things? Like you spend a lot of time doing this. And it's risky, you know, anything in like the music field or other creative arts, it can be very risky, like financially. Right. It's not steady, consistent, like a job as a engineer. Correct. Engineer, doctor, lawyer, the regular, uh, you know, spiel that you get as an Indian kid. Um, But one thing I fall back on is like, well, yeah, I kind of, I can see a path in front of me. That seems possible. I try to be realistic about, you know, my abilities and like the world at large. And I kind of make like make a plan like, okay, these are some solid steps I can take to eventually reach that goal. And uh, and then you kind of just have to start doing it. You there's like a thing. It's like, wow, I really wish I could uh, like sing. Right. Like they're like there's one genre like any classical like music, like guzzle is poetry based singing. And a lot of like, I'm not really a, a vocalist at all. And there are other students in our academy that are, and they study that. And I, I always really liked it. And I was like, that'd be awesome if I could do that one day. And, you know, years went by and I was like, man, if I actually started this, when I first said that I'd be pretty good at this. And my teacher was like, all right, let's just start doing it. And he just forced me to start practicing it. And even though I don't speak that language or, and I'm not a singer and I have an insane amount of stage fright, um, kind of pushed through that. And within a year or two, he had me singing at the competition and it wasn't the worst thing ever. I, I didn't place last. So that was a big deal for me. And it's just, you reach a point where it's like, you'll look back and if you didn't start it, you, you couldn't do that thing. So you kind of just have to start it. That was really rambly, but that's what I was getting at. (laughs) So what you're saying is if there's something you want to do, just start. Yes. Because you'll look back and you'll be like, if if you didn't take any steps, you know, it's not an option like later, like you, if you have to take some steps to eventually be able to do your thing, like when the opportunity comes up. I'm right. Otherwise you have no idea what's you're not in the game. Right. And you, or you won't be equipped to play the game when it's your turn. If we're using sports metaphors, like if you didn't practice enough and then suddenly you're called up off the bench, you know, what are you going to do when you're playing? 
you need, you need to have like put in the time already. That's a true story. Mm-hmm. And as a, as someone who who is a musician, you you know the importance of that. Mm-hmm. Well, Matt, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and sharing your story, especially one that has you so young and still doing so many different things. I really, it's something we've been talking about. So I'm really happy we were finally able to make it happen. Yeah, me too. And that was Matt Poovin. I hope you guys enjoyed hearing his dream chase story and how he kind of found a passion, fell into it almost, and then just developed it over time. 11 years later, he's now the creative director at, AIMREC and is teaching Indian classical music and sitar to other students at the age of 27, which is amazing. And so you guys too can do that. Take his advice to heart and just start. Okay. And so you can find all the show notes and any links mentioned on today's show on the show notes page for this episode at chasingdreamshq.com slash episode 35. That's episode 35. Until next time, June Chasers, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Chasing.